0: It always does my heart good to hear you as a family worship together. And then to realize that as we go out into our world every week to live our lives, not seeing or hearing one another, what a strength that it has been that we have given as a gift to one another and as a gift to our God that we have been together to worship and that we can again get together and worship. Previously on Love Dare... We were discussing 1 Corinthians 13. It's Paul's list of attributes or character qualities that come as a result of love, a God type of love. And I divided the list last time into four categories, and we talked about the first three last week. First of all, that love is compassionate, which basically incorporated that love is kind and love is patient. The second category was love is content. And we looked at love does not envy and love does not boast. And then we looked at the third category, love is courteous. And there we included three attributes. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. And love is not self-seeking, not always about me. So that brings us to category number four. Category number four is love is forgiving. Love is not easily angered is the first one that Paul lists there um, as we continue on through his listing. Paul says something interesting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. He says, Be angry, but sin not. Be angry, but sin not. Anger is an emotion that we have. It's part of the God image that He made within us. But how we use that emotion can become problematic but here, he's talking about something different. There's a difference between the kind of anger in Ephesians 4:26 and this anger, easily angered. Because you see, easily angered is, uh, well, kind of every little thing bugs you, irritates you, or just looking for the faults to get upset about so that you have something to argue about, or being hypercritical of a person that you associate with, or everything's got to be my way or the highway, or... You know, they're looking for fights any chance they get. They're quick to take offense at something you've said or done. They seldom give somebody the benefit of the doubt. It's never their problem. It's always somebody else's problem. And it's so petty, yet it hurts relationships. In fact, it destroys relationships. And I am I have never liked this form because <laughs> I need my hands. But anyway, we'll limp along the best we can. Uh, love is different than all of this easily angered stuff. Love is forgiving. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> um, when I introduced you to Freddie Faultfinder Okay, and Freddie Fault Finder, he is one who uh, is always looking for those little specks. Remember I call them peccadilloes in your eye uh, that are, seem to be bothering you and are certainly bothering me. Missing and avoiding the, boy, I can't even do that. <laughs> looking for all the faults that they can in another person's life. And he thinks I'm going to stand around that. I can see how limited your pastor is. I guess I have to talk swallow the microphone here. OK. then I can't see my notes. OK, so love is not about spec-picking in one another's lives. The next one on Paul's uh, list is kind of a partner to this easily angered one. It is that love keeps no records of wrongs done. keeps no records. Of faults, No records of all these little things that have irritated us in the past in this particular relationship. And so no track of wrongs done. So often when we are easily angered, we also are good bookkeepers. And we're always looking for how we can get an edge in an argument. And so we want to keep track of all these little things because they might come in handy somewhere down the road two uh, men were walking along talking and one of them was saying, every time my wife and I get into an argument, my wife gets historical. To, Now don't get ahead of me here. <laughs> to which he responded, uh, I think you mean hysterical, don't you? And he says, oh no, I mean historical. She brings up every single thing I've ever done in my life wrong and <laughs> I think we each have to develop kind of a relational amnesia. We're able to kind of lay aside to forget in the strength of the Holy Spirit, because we as humans have a tough time doing it, to set these things aside. And so often, dredging up the old sins, the past wrongs, just gets us into more trouble and is certainly not forgiving. A couple of things I want to say about forgiveness, and we've got a class going on about that, by the way. You can join us in Langdon Rooms. But forgiving and forgetting are not the same thing. Because the reality is, in God's power, we can forgive a person for a fault done to us. Something done against us. But you don't need to invite them back into your life to keep abusing you. So there's times when we are not able to forget. uh, But we can be in a process of forgiving, which leads to the second caveat. And that is that forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness takes time. Now, if we're at the church potluck, and somebody's brought this beautiful broccoli dish, and you wanted to sample that, and so you dip your fork over into my broccoli and take that, uh, I can forgive you for that, you know? I can probably just do it right there in the heat of the moment when you've taken my broccoli hot dish. But other relationships aren't so easy, and we have to work with one another in this process, and it's a process of healing that takes place that we call forgiveness and that God teaches us about. Trust takes time, it takes time to build, and when the trust is destroyed or ruined, it takes time to replace it or to heal it. Forgiveness is grace, forgiveness is trust, and it's evidenced by how we act that out in our experience in our lives. Now, folks, I've seen the ugliness of unforgiveness, and so have each of you at one time or another. People so resentful, people filled with so much bitterness that it just seems like toxins are oozing out of their spirit. Love is forgiveness. I used a little illustration last week about the lights on our dashboard of our car that warn us when attention is needed and some work maybe need to be done. And so I challenged us to be looking for any lights flashing on our dashboard as we went through these various characteristics of love. And so, maybe in the area of love being forgiveness, are there any lights flashing for you? That you need to take to the Lord and learn to grow in. Okay, so moving on to today's theme then. Recall the movie Christmas Story. Remember it's a little boy that wanted this uh, Red Ryder BB rifle I think it was called. And he's probably about 10 years old-ish, and there's a scene in the movie where he's with a group of, uh, I don't know if you'd call them friends, a group of other guys, and they're all gathered around the flagpole on a winter's day, and it's a metal flagpole, and they're gathered around that, um, and they're kind of challenging each other to lick this flagpole, okay? And so the first one starts it off, you know, I, I dare you to lick the flagpole. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not going to fall for that. I dare you. No. I double dare you. Then the ultimate of all weapons in the arsenal of I dare you's and so on. The triple dog dare. (laughs) That's the ultimate. And so they throw that on the top of the pile. I triple dog dare you to do it. Well now it's on because this little boy must either suffer the humiliation of backing down or he's got to go for it. So he licks the flagpole. Only to find that the stuck to his tongue, and it's so hard to, and it's, he's in a panic, and it's, and it's the thing is not very nice, in fact, it's downright painful, and all the other boys are leaving, why? Because the bell rang, and it's time for school to start, and he's left, hey, it's away. I think you get the picture. Was it because he couldn't walk away from a Tribble Dog dare? Have you ever been challenged by somebody and probably done something unwise or foolish because they challenged you? Well, I'm going to take the risk of challenging you. Challenging you to take the love dare. And next week in your bulletins, you will be having a uh, worksheet to help you with that. And it will take you through some questions, some prayers, and some scripture passages for how it is that we can take the love there. How we can act out the love of Jesus Christ in our day-to-day lives among the people that we get together with. And so I will be uh, asking you to take that challenge. I don't know which is harder. But I think maybe loving God is easier sometimes than loving the one another's in our life. Because you see, God, he's consistent. He gives me do-overs. He uh, loves me and he forgives me. He patches things up. He takes initiative on my behalf. But my neighbors, the one and others in my life, well, they're not nearly so dependable. And sometimes they just make fun of me with my tongue stuck to the flagpole. You know, the person that puts you down, the person who doesn't treat you fairly, The person that's always wanting to prove you wrong and themselves right. Or the person that's always complaining about how I do anything and everything. The unlovable person that's, you kind of want them to become lovable before you have to relate to them. Or how about the amateur jerk? And the list just goes on and on and on. It's hard. It's hard to love the way the scriptures ask us to. But it's also pretty clear that we are to love one another, all the one another's in our life. The Apostle John's letter was an address to the church in conflict. People were leaving, people were arguing and bickering and fighting. They were saying, we always do it this way. Or they were saying, we've never done it that way. Or they might be saying, you know, I so wanted drums in our worship. And others saying, I don't want drums in our worship. I mean, we find such silly things. And it was getting uh, downright ugly. And the Apostle John's heart, I can imagine, was breaking. He loved these people. He loved this church. In 1 John chapter 4, verse seven that was read for us it starts off dear friends in some translations i think the translation would be better according to the greek of dear beloved beloved brothers and sisters it's a term of intense endearment like a father to his child have you ever pondered why it is such a big deal that we love one another why make such a big deal out of that can't we just kind of case the rod Well, what's John say in our text in verse 7? He says, Dear beloved friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. But it's not all just about this vertical relationship between us and God. It's on the horizontal of us loving one another. Our co-workers, our neighbors, the person at Fred Myers, our spouse, our children, our grandchildren. Well, that part's easy. It's also love for the things that God loves. Love for the things that God loves. Have you stopped to think about that? Because God loves every single one of you and me. Thank God. God says this love grows in those who love him. But if a person doesn't really love his neighbor, he shows that he really doesn't, hasn't experienced or known God. The way we love people demonstrates the way we love God. But that's not the burning question, I don't think. Because it's kind of easy to grapple with the notion that, well, we need to love one another. Okay, got that. Check it off in my mental notebook. But the burning question, I believe, is how? How is it that we are to love one another? How do I live, uh, love that really difficult person in my life that I'm in relationship or is even just an acquaintance, that annoying cashier that always wants to check my card, see if I'm old enough? Does that still happen to some of you? And John shows us how to have this heart of compassion, this love for one another, the fruit of following Jesus. He shows us not only how it happens, but he shows us how it looks. In 1 John, if you go over to verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. For our sins. God's love is defined by sending his son to bear our sins. My goof-ups, my snafus, my disobediences, my rebelliousness. To bear my sin, your sin. And I just want to share with you four thoughts that I see in this activity of God. The first one is that God is active. We talked a little bit about that last week when we talked about those various attributes were all verbs. They're all action words when he was using uh, or describing love. And here, uh, John says that God's love is active. He sent his son. Twice, verse 9 and verse 10, both say, he sent his son. John doesn't want us to miss the fact that God's love is active, that God took the action, that God took the initiative for us and on our behalf. God's love is vulnerable. That's the second one. Ponder that one a moment. God's love is vulnerable. What might that mean? God sent his son He sent his son as a king of a humongous army with all sorts of artillery and planes to bomb. Was that how it went? No. He sent him 2,000 years ago on the very first Christmas as a helpless little baby, a dependent little baby, dependent on mom and dad. Jesus left the glory of heaven for the grit and grime of earth. God was vulnerable out of love for us. Thirdly, God's love is extravagant. What did it cost? It cost God his son. It cost God his son's life. It cost him everything. It says that Jesus died, taking on himself my sin and your sins. God was extravagant. Christ was sacrificed in place of you and me. And finally, number four, God's love is undeserved. God's love is undeserved. In verse 10 it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We can't afford it. We can't uh, get it on our own. We don't deserve it. We call it grace, getting what we don't deserve from God. In verse 11, John goes on to say, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. God so loved us. It doesn't just say God loved us. God so loved us. There's a depth all of a sudden that John is trying to portray here. Because sometimes so is quantity. Playing with my grandkids, you know, and we would do How big are you? Oh, so big. And so on. And having that kind of uh, quantity time. But verse 11, the so is not about quantity as much as about quality. About a depth of relationship. Since God so loved us. Loved us in a way that was active. Loved us in a way that was vulnerable. Loved us in a way that was extravagant. Loved us in a way that was undeserved. Luke has a parable. I want to walk. Luke has a parable in chapter 15 that he records from the teaching ministry of Jesus. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Very interesting that we call it the prodigal son because, in fact, it's a prodigal father. Do you know what Webster's definition of prodigal is? It's recklessly wasteful or lavish. It's extremely abundant, exceedingly generous. That describes the father. Not the son. The son took. The son finally came to his senses, and what does he do? He decides to return to his father's place. But as a servant, he doesn't deserve any longer to be a son. But I'll go as a servant, and I'll have it better than with the pigs that I'm feeding right now. And so he comes back. But there's that father with his extravagant love, waiting on the porch, recognizing the gate of his son as he comes closer and closer, runs out to meet him, throws a robe over him, this smelly, disgusting body from living the life he had lived. And he wraps this cloak around and puts rings on his fingers, kills a calf, has a feast, celebrates the return of this one who was dead and now is alive. Since God loved us like that, we also ought to love like that to love our neighbors like that, to love one another like that. We must love with action. We must be vulnerable in loving of others. Loving others may be costly, and we need to respond extravagantly. And we can't wait for people to be lovable and deserving before we love them. When we love one another, it is evident that God is at work among us and in us. And with us, we are in essence Jesus with skin on to these people that need a relationship with their creator. It's very active, vulnerable, extravagant, often undeserved love of others in which we truly experience love for our God. You know, a lot of times... We like to pack our faith into a container. Oh, wow, that was an incredible men's retreat. Let's pack it in here. Oh, that Bible study we go to, awesome. Let's pack it in here. And we just kind of pack this sucker full of all these memories, all these things that are so good. Nothing wrong with them, but we kind of want to keep them for ourselves, you know. We want to, and we think of spiritual maturity, well, spiritual maturity is... uh, a bigger one so we can pack more things in more experiences in that's how we get mature but you know that's not it it's much more like being a conduit where it goes from us and God's love for us out to others it overflows and maturity is not so much finding containers it's finding a bigger conduit In which we can spread the love of God to others around us. Where we can act it out, where we can bring it to life, where they can see the love of God by our words, by our deeds. In a little bit, we're going to do a special ceremony and invite you to take the inserts you got last week on asking the Lord of the Harvest out of Luke 10. Asking the Lord of Harvest to touch people's lives that you are concerned about. That you feel like, I'm not sure if they know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'm not sure if they've given themselves over to their God, to their Creator. I'm not sure if they've got this relationship. and I want to pray for them so that happens. And that's so important. It's interesting what the Scriptures say. There's the account in Luke 20 where the Um, some of the disciples in the aftermath of the resurrection a couple of them are walking along the road to Emmaus and so they're walking along and Jesus joins them they don't recognize Jesus at first and in that conversation they have with Jesus and so on one of them shares didn't our hearts burn within us What were they talking about? They were talking about the resurrection of their Lord. They were talking about this incredible experience that had happened, that they had experienced. They wanted to share with us. Doesn't this just burn within? Or there's another passage back in the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 20, verse 9. If I say, I will not mention him, in other words, we won't speak any words about God, or speak any more of his name, the Lord, God, His words are in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I cannot hold it in. I cannot contain it. I must be something that gives forth that love of our God to my brothers and sisters around me that need God in their lives. I believe that we must be more like a pipe than like a container. Directing God's love towards other, towards one another, towards our neighbor. The scriptures even say towards our enemies. I think God desires us to get better at this as a church. I think God wants this community to know who we are by our love. God was prompting me to share with you this series on his love because talking about the spiritual gifts, that's just one side of it. That's just kind of the head part of understanding and knowing how God might use us. But it's this activity of love, of loving one another, it's this activity that brings the rubber to the road, that allows us to really share Jesus Christ and for others to really experience Jesus Christ through love. And who of us doesn't want love? We need to examine our hearts to do a little checkup, to ask questions like How have I showed God's love in my actions, in my words, this month, this week, or maybe this morning? Or When did I last become vulnerable enough to share God's love with a friend? Or when was the last time the love that I showed towards somebody else really cost me something? Where I had to go out of my way, kind of like the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And another thought would be, who do I really love that may not deserve it? May be very undeserving of it. Will never be able to do anything for me. Will never be able to repay in any way. I don't get any accolades for loving this person. But I sense that's what God wants me to do. Verse 21 of 1 John 4 says, And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. Are you ready? I triple dog dare you. It's on. It's on. Next week... Read all about it in your worship flyer as we continue to look at this together. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love for us. As you pour your love into us, may we be conduits of love to our world that so desperately needs your love. We've tried all the human things to solve our problems, and they just don't seem to work. Maybe someday, we, starting with each one of us, will decide, let's do it God's way. Let's let God's love heal broken relationships, mend hurting lives. Father, we give ourselves, even as we give tokens of our appreciation and thanksgiving for your blessings and our offerings, we ask that you multiply those to help people to know of your love. And oh, by the way, to use us as your dispensers of love. In your name we pray, amen. Invite the ushers to wait on us.